The fire pit was about 25 feet long by 10 feet wide and perhaps 2 feet deep. The fire had been burning for hours. The bed of coals gave off a blast of heat almost unbearable even back where I was seated, 15 feet from the side of the pit in the second row of tourists. I'd given up my front row seat to one of the ladies from the ship, delighted to accept the shielding offered by her well-fed carcass. I was tempted to move still farther back, but I did want to see the firewalkers up close. How often does one get to view a miracle? It's a hoax, the well-traveled man said. You'll see. Not really a hoax, Gerald, the authority on everything denied. Just somewhat less than we were led to expect. It won't be the whole village, probably none of the hula dancers, and certainly not those children. One or two of the young men, with calluses on their feet, as thick as cowhide, hopped up on opium. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben LeBate. And tonight, we're reading Job, A Comedy of Justice, by Robert Heinlein, published in 1984. And our guest tonight is Moisir de Pereira. Hello, Moisir. Hello, Ben. Welcome. Hello, Ben. So... Uh, usually, I have... No, let me take that again. (laughs) (laughs) Let me take my my thinking again. Um, I find that I like to start this by asking if you have any familiarity or preconceptions about Heinlein, or any uh, preference about how to say his name. I was just going to say, I always thought it was Heinlein. Um, The main thing I know about him is that apparently he wrote Starship Troopers, but luckily the movie was not faithful to the to the book but uh i haven't read anything of his except i read stranger in a strange land when i was in eighth or ninth grade uh prompted to do so because the novel is mentioned in billy joel's we didn't start the fire (laughs) so it's uh i i've in preparation for this i sort of had had that verse in my head where where it's it's the 1961 it's Hemingway Eichmann Stranger in a Strange uh-huh. Land Dylan Berlin Bay of Pigs Invasion <laughs> and at the time I really wanted to involve myself in the counterculture and I sort of understood Stranger in a Strange Land to be part of that mm-hmm. and then I I guess I also thought that he had a good ear for a title mm. because Stranger in a Strange Land is a great title. Only to later find out that he just cribbed it from the King James <laughs> version of the Bible, and uh, but uh, the Moon is a harsh mistress is a good uh, is is also a good title. Mm-hmm. But I haven't read that; I've just heard about it. Yeah, I think so also. That's, that, oh, go uh, ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to add a, a a door into into wait is it door into winter door into summer? Okay, now I can't remember. It's one of those silly to, door um, into winter is I think the eighth Narnia book. <laughs> Um, uh, gosh, yes. No, he was, uh, he was a very prolific guy. Uh, door into summer. Yeah. Uh, which I, I, I know cause I, I read an essay he wrote on writing where he was like, like the only story that came to me fully formed was when we went to our, uh, like our, our winter cabin one year and like the, the dog or maybe it was a cat, like ran around from room to room looking at all the doors. And my wife said, oh, he's looking for the door into summer. Hmm. And he's like, 
you know, like, like don't say anything else. I have to go write this novel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, like you also read stranger in a strange land, like, uh, probably too early in a, like child from a child development standpoint, probably around eighth or ninth grade. Um, I've read a bunch of other Heinlein. Uh, I am also, I say Heinlein cause it's easier for me to say, I don't actually know what the official pronunciation is. Um, and I'm not going to look it up now. Um, but I've read a bunch of his other stuff and it's, it's always very interesting. Cause like the, the things Heinlein is known by are like a bunch of very disparate periods in his writing. Like Starship Troopers is like the early period where he was writing like fiction aimed at teen boys, like war fiction, that kind of very traditional, like, traditional teen fiction but with a science fiction overlay and then like he moves on to the stranger in a strange land period and things start to get real weird um and this is uh one from an even later period and is some of his rare not really science fiction at all yeah the the cover says fantasy on it Mm -hmm. and has a dragon so (laughs) i was a, a little bit startled it's it's funny that we both read Stranger in a Strange Land when we were teenagers, despite the fact that it's allegedly not for teenagers, because it, it, all I really remember, I remember three things from the novel, the word grok, mm-hmm. then uh, then there's one scene where a judge or something is asked whether the house he sees is white, and he says it's white from this side. And then I remember it being a little bit sexy, a little bit horny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, eighth grade me was... was uh, startled to see that sort of possibility in a novel yeah that that about matches my eighth grade memory as well um also water sharing i remember being a thing but beyond that someday i'll go back and reread that i say as i so often say on the show and never do yeah i'm nearly positive i will never read a heinlein book just because uh the the politics have have kind of canceled him for mm. for me after a fashion well and 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 you have so many other lines of uh billy joel's we didn't start the fire to get through right <laughs> well yeah i mean catcher in the rise mentioned there but i've read that a bunch of times a couple other books get get mentioned that i have not yet read um mm. peyton peyton place is also mentioned in that song which i believe you and i read in class ben uh did 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 we or did we read about it i feel like uh, I, I don't think I ever read it, but, uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't in a class <laughs> that you took. Uh, that, that is true. Um, I do remember this, this, I, I, I'll share this one memory from, from grad school where, uh, before class, you may have said something like, like, well, I, like, I, I didn't have time to read the book. And then I was like, I was internally thinking like, okay, so like, you just won't say anything in class. You'll just lay low. And then sometime in the discussion, you, you, you said like, well, from the back cover and like, like the, the forward or something like, this is what I get. And I just remember thinking like, like, that's a real, that's a real academic right there. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just playing at this, but, um, or the classic joke of like, like, oh, I haven't read that book. I haven't even taught it yet. <laughs> but, uh, getting back to the, uh, that question, uh, I have read, uh, I've not read Stranger in a Strange Land. And it, it is funny, Vin, how you talk about him having different periods, because he definitely does have like, uh, like he, he is a writer uh, of uh, multitudes, uh, not all of them great. Mm-hmm. Like he has some, 
he has some later works. I think uh, Farnholm's Free Freehold, maybe. I don't know. Farnham's He's Freehold. got some stuff that's like really retrograde in like race relations, or like I, I think he 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 writes one dystopia where like white people are oppressed by black people, and it's just like eek, like ah, uh, this is you know, and it, and, it, and it's not like it's not like the Twilight Zone of like how would you feel? It's like like oh gosh, we have to prevent this. Like that's the uh, I want to say general reading of that book, but hmm. uh, I have read Starship Troopers, which is different from the movie, um, and but does get him tagged as like a militarist or a fascist. Uh, mm. And Moon is a harsh mistress. Yep. Which, like, has some. I mean, it's 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 one of those ones where like people who love the American Revolution get to reenact it. Mm-hmm. You know, except you know they reenact it from from the moon. Uh, and it has a, another sort of classic Heinlein figure of the like the guy who knows everything and wants to talk about it. Yeah. And will in, in, in monologues that are like very clearly actually Heinlein's own opinions. Well, like like the authority on everything from this from the first page of Job. Well, that's yeah. that's what I was really curious about how, how you guys read that. Um, but sorry, I just want to say, like, uh, if you ever look up the moon as a harsh mistress, um, one thing you will find is. They talk about like the, uh, like the untraditional marriage uh, that is the the model of marriage uh, on the moon, mm. uh, and so it's funny because you get this like it's like oh he's kind of like a traditional fascist like militarist guy, and then you're like oh no he's like kind of like a weird hippie about some things you know like marriages should be yeah he's free. Yeah. he's he's much more of a libertarian hippie at least like in his heyday. Um, I- I feel like I haven't read all of Starship Troopers. I've only read parts, but I feel like the general takeaway of that is like war is hell. But like he also skirts with like, like obviously he's very old school libertarian, which is, you know, not great, but more of a mixed bag than (laughs) modern libertarian. Um, And then like there's some like eugenics, but not like not it's very hard to have a nuanced take on eugenics uh, when you're trying to talk about something you don't entirely remember, but it's more about people like grouping together to selectively breed for, uh, for lifespan. It's, it's weird, but it makes for interesting stories, but also yeah. Mm. Fraught. Yeah. I just wanted to add that, uh, Ben, the, the mistake you're making, man, is thinking that politics is is a binary when it's actually a field, you know, and yeah, yeah. and that uh, yeah, the sort of sexual liberation of something like Stranger in a Strange Land is very much at home in the same kind of libertarian ethos that, from what I understand, uh, it permeates the Moon as a Harsh Mistress also, which, from my understanding, is also where we get the expression "there ain't no such thing as a free lunch." Mm-hmm. So that's a you know a cornerstone of of libertarian economic thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then time enough for love, which is the one I was trying to remember before, which is like entirely about the scion of the family that has been breeding for age, is like fifty percent digressions that are nearly essays. <laughs> yeah, the uh, my main interaction with Heinlein as an adult. Has mm-hmm. been that a, a good friend of mine that I that I actually lived with for a few years when I was living in Lithuania is one of the most hardcore libertarians I know, 
and I th- am pretty sure he would put Heinlein in his top five authors mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. behind Ayn Rand, but you know, mm. not not very far behind. <laughs> and so uh, it's just this sense of a a section of a bookcase that I that I can just pass by mm. and yeah. and and sneer at, I guess, with right. my uh, with my ivory tower snobbery. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's an interesting juxtaposition because I feel like Heinlein and and Rand, Rand would not get along at all, uh, even though they're sort of in that same libertarian space. Well, it it's it's a reading community that gets that is well. Let me the how, how I would imagine it is that it's a political community that is in search of. Um, uh, I mean, this this sounds so mean, but it's. <laughs> It's in in search of like intellectual forefathers, mm-hmm. and and I'm not being gender nonspecific for a reason, uh, and so I think that that having people like Rand or Heinlein are are vital for giving the kind of post facto intellectual heft to uh, mm. to a political movement. But you know, the, now I'm just sort of speculating. Mm. with my own biases yeah highland's weird because like he's he's the kind of libertarian that believes very much in community uh and and service yeah which is very oppositional to the ayn rand brand of it um but also he goes through a lot of phases in his life so i can say that based on what i've read and it may have been completely contradicted by the time he died yeah yeah i mean which is great because then you can choose the one that you like i mean Mm -hmm. i I think I read Moon is just like Marx that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Or like Freud, right? Like, like people who are Freudians are just like, like this one bit is the important part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although actually I think it's probably worse with Marx. Um, You were going to say about Moon is a harsh mistress. Oh, uh, I actually remember liking that book. Like, like essays and all. Like I have Mm -hmm. read uh, Anne Rand. Uh, I read The Fountainhead. Um, I never even thought of trying atlas shrugged and like i mean i I read it as a uh, i read it as a teenage boy at the uh behest of a teenage girl (laughs) and i remember like kind of liking it but also like i I don't know if it like came too late in my political development um you know the joke about um uh ann rand and tolkien uh there are two books that will like totally take over your life this is the joke from John Rogers, uh, writer mm. of the TV show Leverage. Uh, there are two books that will take over your life if you read them at 14. One is uh, Anne Rand, uh, The Fountainhead, or, or Alice Shrugged, I don't know. Uh, and the other is uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. One is full of, uh, you know, cartoonish caricatures of people and an, uh, a nonsense epic plot, you know, with bad morality. Uh, and the other has orcs. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we had... We had at uh, the college newspaper in our orientation issue, we had like a glossary that we provided for the first years. And I I don't remember exactly what we said, but uh, one of the entries was objectivism. And, and on it, the, the definition was something like, we were all 18 once. It's okay. You'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I actually first heard about Rand when I was, I, my one of my parents gave me a scholarship, a flyer for a scholarship when I think I was in seventh grade. 
I don't know, scholarship to what, but uh, it required writing an essay about the Fountainhead. And I'm like, I've never heard of this book. Forget it. Mm-hmm. The end. But the title's stuck in my head. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, so in comparison, I will say I enjoy uh, Heinlein uh, much more. And maybe it is that, that service. And I, I just sent you guys a, a picture, which is uh, kind of a famous photo and we will post it uh in our instagram and twitter of uh asimov uh heinlein and uh l sprague de Camp uh at the uh it's a naval research base i believe hmm. uh the philadelphia navy yard in 1944 uh and it's funny because like heinlein just looks kind of like a suit to me i don't know if you guys are looking at it now uh l sprague de Camp has a like kind of a foppish military uh air about him and asimov just looks like a nerd uh to me it's like a very contemporary nerd uh and there's something about this picture that i feel really captures that but sorry going back to the service like i feel like one of the things that gets talked about a lot with heinlein Mm -hmm. is his military service and how he was he left the service due to medical reasons and so like there's something about that that really i think informed his take on what it means to be in the community uh, and also maybe left him with some longing that he did not uh, serve more, uh, especially in World War II. Mm-hmm. But, okay, that's, I mean, uh, uh, now that we have talked <laughs> about Ayn Rand and about, like, the entire arc of Heinlein's career, uh, maybe we should look at this page. Oh, yeah. Can I start by sort of bristling at the fact that uh, then you skipped the epigraph? Uh, I did. Um... Would you like to read that into the record, Moses here? When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Isaiah 43.2. Another King James version. Mm. That Heinlein, I've now looked it up, it's Heinlein, even though that's also the name of a park in Manhattan. Um, Heinlein, yet again, is leaning on the King James Bible, that's mm-hmm. all. <laughs> and uh, to me, I don't know how you all are when you when you use epigraphs, but... Referring to the epigraph or or already mobilizing the imagery of the epigraph in the opening paragraph of whatever it is that you're writing mm-hmm. seems a little uh a little cheap. Right, right. A little bit hacky. Like like you don't you don't talk about a fire using metaphors of fire, right? Mm. It's it's like why are we having an epigraph about fire uh not burning? And then it's like, oh, here's a scene of a firewalker, I guess. Well, of, of literally an epigraph about firewalking and then boom, firewalking. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do like, uh, I do sometimes like when they get right to it because otherwise I'll have forgotten there's an epigraph <laughs> by the time it becomes relevant. Yeah. Also, this might be one where he does one on every chapter, although I don't have the book with me, so I can't check. It would make sense because it's on, it's under the chapter heading. So, mm-hmm. but then maybe in that case, it's, it's, it's just uh, there's a a book I have on JavaScript where every chapter opens with a Shakespeare quote, mm-hmm. and they are they are all completely misplaced because <laughs> it just seems it just seems like uh, you know like this is the chapter on arrays. All right, when does Shakespeare use the word array? Um, <laughs> so okay. so maybe Heinlein is doing something similar here. Mm. That, 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 I mean that is pretty good to think about. Like it's like okay like. Like we need to describe inheritance. Like what does like get some get something from King Lear? Like that's all yeah. about inheritance, right? Mm. Yeah. You're thinking uh, too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I will Just say uh, 
is spoiler alert here. This does end up being a novel about religion in a like very direct and literal way. So maybe that should have been my my first question. What's your relationship with the book of Job hmm. or or job, if you prefer? Uh, I don't know of anyone who does. But. Well, I I didn't know that this was about the book of Job until I saw the cover. Hmm. Because I actually was thinking maybe it is job and is about, uh, maybe it's a book about, you know, wage slavery or something along those lines. Or, uh, mm-hmm. But then when I saw the cover, which is of a man with a halo, then I was like, okay, I think that this is working with the book of Job in some way. Mm-hmm. As for my relationship with it, I mean, you know, whatever. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if Billy Joel didn't mention it, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just looking at that cover now. Uh, I don't know. This is uh, it's kind of delightful. It it has a kind of whimsy that, and I think that this is maybe it's 1984 ishness mm-hmm. um, that makes me think a little bit of like not absolutely not the actual cover of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. but the image sort of makes me think of that like just this kind of if you told me this was arthur dent i would believe you yeah yeah like just this guy being just like you know i i I was gonna i was gonna ask which like which python does he look like uh oh Mm. is that is that is that like a young eric idol i can't think it is yeah it looks yeah and there's something about the like he he is both taking a like uh a pose that is a shrug uh, as well as sort of a like a benediction, mm. not not quite a not quite a cross uh, position, but well, I mean there there is a crucifix at the top of the picture, uh, in between the J and the O, and you know he's oh, the yeah. way the way he's levitating. I mean, it it's not exactly like he's on the cross, but it's not not. So maybe it's sort of a bit in the way like uh, in depictions of uh, Jesus on the cross when the other two. Uh, people who were crucified with him are are always crucified in in slightly different ways, so that their mm-hmm. their suffering doesn't quite mirror mm-hmm. that of Jesus. Hmm. It's funny. I, I I I did not see that cross before, and now that I'm zoomed in, I can see the the cross between the J and the O, and I can see what looks like money between the O and the B. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, there's actually a lot of a lot of money swirling around in that whirlwind of stuff, hmm. but. Uh, yeah, and then, but I I was also a little bit confused by the airship. <laughs> I was wondering if that's the Hindenburg. It might be, actually. And like, is is there a Sunday in front of him? Is that that is definitely an ice cream Sunday? Yes. Yeah. You think there's that the like I I do wonder. So this is I believe a Michael Whelan cover, uh, and he is someone who has done a lot of science fiction and fantasy covers. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of wonder what the brief was for this. If they were like, show a guy ascending to heaven surrounded by stuff. Or if it was like very specific, like, I mean, like put in a Sunday, put in the airship. Knowing Heinlein, I bet there was a list. Um, also, I feel like this, this smoking monkey at the bottom can't be an accident. So, <laughs> well, uh, but it's, you know, Maybe an assumption that he's ascending into heaven because the the devils are higher up in the image than the angels are, and the fellow is surrounded by a sort of corkscrew. So he could be going, mm. you know, in either. Yes, it looks like he's levitating upwards, especially with his hands pointed upwards. But there's also, 
maybe the uncertainty is part of the point. Mm-hmm. You know, just like in the book of Job, it's the uncertainty at the opening between uh, Satan and God over yeah. over how Job will react. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, one of the things I remember someone talking about in that book uh, is that, like, for some people read the ending where Job has everything restored as kind of like uh, a possibly later addition. Mm. Like, like it just, it kind of seems tacked on to like, oh yes, uh, everything's okay. Like, um, like the alternate ending of Brazil. Yeah. Uh, actually now that I'm looking at him with the, the trench coat, like maybe there's like a 1980s John Constantine Hellblazer vibe. Mm. But I think at this point I'm just, just kind of mesmerized by the, like, why are there so many plates? I understand why there's like a lot, like, like money's a fun symbol to play with. Right. Mm-hmm. But like. Why so many plates? Like, okay, do you think there are 30 pieces of silver there? Oh, maybe. Uh, in the cover? Is uh, is he a plate spinner in the sense of does he is does he have a lot of things going on at once? Could be. That much I don't remember. I have read this, uh, but it was, uh, as is so often the case, a long while ago. Um, I'm also a little bit, I don't really know what to make of the fact that the Sunday also kind of looks like a a raging tumescent member mm-hmm. yeah its placement is very uh purposeful i would say yeah yeah um so you know something something about how uh ice cream's impermanence something something <laughs> being middle-aged right 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 like there is that a uh, bit in a i think aquinas um about how like there, there, there's something about like the, the perfection in he- of heaven where he's like, oh, yes, like, you know, and in heaven, of course, you can get an, get an erection whenever you want. Um, uh, is it a, that doesn't sound like Aquinas. It's one of the church fathers. I can't remember. Uh, as we were talking about before we started, I'm spending all my time studying Yiddish. So, like, <laughs> don't 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 quote me on your church father papers. Uh, I think uh, Aquinas predates Yiddish by a couple <laughs> centuries. Um, but yeah, so, so then I wanted to give you grief about the epigraph precisely mm. because like I said, the, uh, um, you know, the, the first three words are a fire pit, but, uh, for me, the image that really sort of sat in this, I have only read this page. I've read stuff around the book, but I have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea what the plot is or anything. I've, I've felt I would be, I would try to play by your rules, um, for this episode. <laughs> And my my main takeaway from this was the uh, you remember that slogan uh, join the navy see the world well mm-hmm. I mean it it's older than we are but in, and also there's the Vietnam era retelling of it of like go uh, join the army go to interesting places or exotic places meet interesting people and shoot them and I don't know why I had that in the back of my head reading this opening page it could be starship troopers or something along those lines but i was really annoyed and disgusted by by how arrogant and uh imperial the narrator is here yeah he is very much a jackass on this page (laughs) i would not argue that um yes uh that is a thing that i think we could probably say about a lot of later uh, Heinlein, mm. um, where 
the narrative voice is, especially if it's a person. Uh, and I think mostly they are, and I don't know. I can't remember the last time. Well, I'm sure he used some omniscient, but like, uh, the narrator is definitely quick to point out the foibles of other people, uh, and like hold that position of, uh, ironic authority or Mm -hmm. ironic knowledge, uh, over them. Um, yes. And everything here about like, you know, sheltering behind a woman's well-fed carcass to like the short descriptions of like. Uh, the well-traveled man and the authority on everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, not descriptions, the typecasting. Yeah, the fact that those are their names. Yeah. You you know what this sort of, now that I'm thinking about it, what this reads like is uh, David Foster Wallace is a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. <laughs> because that's, you know, I think that essay was the one that basically turned me off of Wallace for good because I was just like, God, how mm. how much of a jerk can you be to these like, people who they, they're just on a cruise they just want to have some fun yeah yeah and the narrator yeah because the narrator here sets up immediately this sort of imbalanced relationship by by positioning themselves among tourists so you already know that there's some kind of uh economy of some kind of local cultural exploitation that that's where the you know go to exotic places and see interesting people and then, yeah, her well-fed carcass, I just, I, I wanted to throw something. And then, but then the, uh, to me, the, the main thing is the kind of drop between miracle hoax and then the sort of thesis of miracle antithesis of hoax. And then <laughs> the synthesis of just somewhat less than we were led to expect, mm-hmm. because it's just, uh, it's just, you know what what's the what's the point of the firewalkers here because in Isaiah that's God mm. telling Israel that you know things are going to be bad it sucks being in Babylon but I've got your back whereas you know that's that's not what this is about and it's reduced to men with calluses and being on opium mm-hmm. yeah well, well it's, it's also Sorry, just to uh, just to tack on to what you were saying, but like it is also the outsider's view of the walking through the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like you said, like you know, God saying, uh, "Fire won't burn you uh, because of my protection." And here we're just like watching people who fire won't burn. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a very touristy position. Well, it's it's and it's a rather severe flattening. I mean, I don't I don't know what the anthropological ethnographic whatever descriptions of of why firewalking exists etc mm. but precisely it's it's reduced to a flattened spectacle here mm-hmm. especially because of the way that that it's redescribed as a hoax and as something somewhat less mm-hmm. yeah uh, well there is a like a branch of modern firewalking practice that is very much in line with like uh, snake handling and like evangelical faith healing of of being like a very like look how God protects me here is a pageant I am a preacher sort of thing that I think and again I don't remember anything specific about this book but I think that's uh, the space that he's engaging in is that like modern Christian version of it hmm. uh, which is like very much something that is more about the show uh at least if if one is uh skeptical of a lot of aspects of modern evangelical christianity uh, is more about like 
the show than about uh, a real like like movement. But still, even with that that being the case, and I can see that I can see that in this text a little bit, but the opening is still somewhere on an island, like something like mm. Hawaii or something. It's not at a at a uh, camp revival in yeah. in Appalachia or something along those lines, or at, yeah. a, at a mega church where uh, you know where people are being fleeced. You know, it's it's and nor is it presented. I mean, I think that that's that's sort of that's maybe the cultural distance is that I would be able to read this and and agree with to some degree the cynicism if it were something like what you're describing, but this just seems just callous, you know, as like the calluses as as thick <laughs> as uh, cowhide. It's 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 just a callous, very imperial. Mm. Yeah, and Tony Robbins does firewalking. He's uh, one of the big firewalking guys. I, I was going to say the like the the Robin spectacle, especially since like some people got burned and sued him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is just one of those fun factoids. Uh, but it's curious. I, I was just thinking about like um, one thing that hearing you guys talk about this reminds me is how little description there is on the page. Uh, of like, like we get very precise. The fire pit was about 25 feet long by 10 feet wide and perhaps two feet deep. Mm-hmm. That is like, uh, to go into a weird metaphor, like that is like early Gygax D and D dungeon hmm. master. That, that's like, you give a very precise foot measurement because one of your players is drawing a map yep. and like, like there's something like that is so precise. And it is funny how like, like that precision is both i think sort of antithetical to hoax or miracle like uh well maybe not but there's something about like that precision where it's just like i'm just going to describe things how they are uh which might be again that sort of imperial uh ironic distance narrative voice of just like i'm going to describe things as they actually are um and yet besides that one bit of description and the fact that we know that it's hot Mm. we don't know like yeah, we don't know where they are. I, I'm I was again assuming from hula dancers that this is a Pacific island somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but they yeah, had this first page does not give us a lot except for I think that feeling of being above it all. Yeah. Well, the that's the interesting thing, or, or sort of this this moment of pause because of how the last sentence of the second paragraph or the last half of the Mm. second paragraph works because the narrator says, but I did, and that's in italics, I did want to see the firewalkers close up. How often does one get to view a miracle? So is, I I wonder if that's, Mm. because I I read that two ways. You know, one way is in a suspension of disbelief sort of way and a sort of, you know, I'm interested in, in being involved in this tourist show, et cetera. And, and I want to be wowed by it so that then you know, I have stories to tell when I get home or something along those lines. Or is it like what you're saying, this kind of ironic, cynical, mm-hmm. uh, where what the narrator actually wants to see is to see these pe- people suffer and wants to see mm-hmm. the firewalking actually fail and for them to get burned and to, to then sort of say, see what miracle was this? Mm-hmm. And 
that's prompted by what the other two people say. And, and, you know, the other two people are skeptical and the narrator is more skeptical than they with, with, uh, with the sneering authority mm-hmm. on everything and the well-traveled man, mm. which by the way, are synonyms. Yeah. I was curious about how, like the, the, the two speaking characters on this first page, both sound very similar in a way, mm-hmm. you know, like the, they both sound like people who would well, actually a lot of conversations. And yeah. I say that as, uh, uh, a big fan of well, actually conversations, mm. uh, not a big fan, just someone who, uh, uh, is trying to get better, let's say. Um, whereas the 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 woman is just a well fed carcass, right? Mm-hmm. Like non unnamed and non speaking. Yeah, our our narrator is currently sitting back in the skeptic seats. Can uh, Can I ask what do you make of the fact that the well traveled man is immediately named, but the narrator mm. presumably is telling this after the fact, so would already know that the well traveled man's name is Gerald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like I think it's very much him not really being interested in talking about them as people, but more as uh, points of view, um, which is a sort of like almost meta device, because that's what the author is doing and what the narrator is doing uh, separately. But at the same time, yeah, I I think I agree with that, that like, uh, I mean, the fact that I. Uh, could not remember that his name was Gerald because he was named in dialogue. Uh, like there, there's something about maybe the dialogue that is less authoritative uh, in a way. Like someone else's, this is someone else's opinion or mm. thoughts. And like, we've already been signaled that like other people are not, uh, not savvy to the extent that the, the narrator is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it just stacking the, Everything here is loathsome. <laughs> yes, yeah. is, is is sort of uh, is sort of what I'm getting at. Uh, just maybe the the pit not the pit in itself maybe not other than how hot it is, but all of the people, even the uh, even the talent, etc. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, this is a I like it, it, what the authority on everything is hinting at here because. In saying it won't be the whole village, the implication is that you would imagine that the whole village, how you know, let's say fifty people or something, are all just going to show up and stomp on these hot coals. But then the authority sort of pulls back from that and says, "Absolutely not the hula dancers." So they're they're out, not the children. So and and not those children. So it, it, what I'm getting at is is that this village has a everyone seems to be involved in the economy of playing for the tourists in mm. some way. Like the young women presumably are the hula dancers. The kids are doing something else. You know, they're, they're doing tricks or something along those lines. But then the actual firewalking, the, the miracle, what everyone is here to see is just limited to out of the entire village, one or two of the young men with the calluses and, and, and the opium. Mm. And the, the opium is the <laughs> other sort of like just, you know, as as someone who reads a little bit postcolonially, yeah, like the you know the the opium also contributes to this kind of imperial uh, mm. disdain because of the that opium came from somewhere; it didn't come from this island. And then, if the opium, why is the opium necessary for the fire walking to happen? 
either it's a quote unquote authentic cultural expression or it's something that's produced out of the um out of being settled and out of being colonized mm-hmm. and having having opium introduced etc <laughs> just a lot of questions mm-hmm. about yeah. Uh, yeah that that i that i'm somewhat <laughs> skeptical that the novel actually comes around to answer <laughs> right yeah yeah like like it's funny i i thinking about that like hopped up on opium phrase where like I, I don't know the last time you ever described something as being hopped up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say in my circles these days, parents will sometimes describe, describe children as being hopped up on sugar. Mm-hmm. And like part of the joy of that expression is how silly it is uh, in reference to sugar. But like it, it, it does have kind of an old timey, not old timey. It's just like, I don't know. It reminds me of like moral panics. Uh, yeah. Like you hear about on the news, like, People are eating Tide Pods yeah. or... When is hopped you know. up on goofballs, I think is right. the most classic expression of that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if this were, was a book that was going to interrogate that <laughs> that that position of someone uh, wondering about some native, uh, how hopped up on opium they are, uh, that would be one thing. But uh, again, this is pure speculation. I don't think that's what this novel is going to do. Hmm. Like, the authority on everything uh, is going to be wrong, but, like, not wrong for, like, they're, they're not going to go and read, like, Franz Fanon and realize that they're wrong, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, they're going to be wrong in, like, normal, middle-class, white person, you know, ship, or, you know, cruise ship ways. Yeah. Factually wrong, not, like, ethnographically wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does anyone curious enough to read more of this or, or, or are we just going to go back to a stranger in a strange land? I mean, I, I, there's so much other stuff to read. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to one day having a guest on who's like, well, this is the last book. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm touched by the guests who say something like, wow, now I'll definitely read this. Like, you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical at first, but I, I, you know, I, I, I just got, yeah, just so irritated. And, and, and again, like I said, you know, I have other stuff to read. Yeah. If yeah. there's a selling point for this book, it's not really this page. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Like I, 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 I can't imagine like looking at that cover uh, and thinking like, oh, like, like thinking about books that framed my consciousness as a young child, like Hitchhiker's Guide was pretty important for me mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And like, in other ways, I totally missed what it was talking about uh, when I first read it. Um, and like, I could just imagine looking at the cover and thinking like, oh, this is in that vein of like satire on, you know, humanity. And then like, ah, I'd just rather read Hitchhikers again, you know, even though as an adult, I understand that it is a work of s- supreme and deep despair. Hmm. Uh, well, it's it's the the Hitchhikers comparison is interest is provocative to me because my mom had to downsize her living arrangements a couple months ago. And so a lot of that involved my going back and helping her put her stuff together, et cetera. And that also dealt with what do we do with the books? And there's you know many, many, many books. And so a lot of the books I read from around the time when I would have been reading Stranger in a Strange Land, which I took out from the library, 
are now in my possession again, and that includes Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So now something that I, I read once in eighth grade or something and remember liking a lot is now in my bookcase again, sort of calling out. Mm. But I I did want to say that there's a, a funny side effect of Job, A Comedy of Justice, which is that it doesn't make me interested in reading Job, A Comedy of Justice, but it does make me interested in reading Jürgen, A Comedy mm. of Justice, mm-hmm. uh, the the fantasy novel by James Branch Cable from 1919. I uh, downloaded a a free version of it and started reading it, and it is bonkers. <laughs> I It just opens with a foreword that apparently includes... A section of the novel that was excised because it was it was uh, too horny, <laughs> and it's it's just all just so unclear what's going on and uh, and just yeah just completely bonkers. So that that mm-hmm. I will read. That's that's sort of speaking a little bit more more my language and and it's it's and it apparently is the plot. It was an inspiration for Stranger in a Strange Land. So hmm. who knows. Oh. Yeah, I wonder if this is a direct reference, actually. Just like very lightly glancing at the Wikipedia now. Um, you mean, sorry, uh, you're, you mean the title? Uh, the title is and maybe some of the, the general concepts. Uh, I mean, if I look at the first, uh, the beginning of the uh, description of Jurgen here, uh, the eponymous hero who considers himself a monstrous, clever fellow embarks on a journey through even more fantastic realms. Mm-hmm. Found a monstrous, clever fellow. Yeah the the Wikipedia page at the end does the if you have a peep at the second to last paragraph, that's that's where I found out mm-hmm. about the connection. Oh yeah, yeah. To Stranger in a Strange Land, because apparently Heinlein made three references to it. Hmm. Uh, if we assume that a comedy of justice, Job, a comedy of justice, is a reference to Jürgen, a comedy of justice, then. There's also the 1938 for us, the living, a comedy of customs. Yeah, yeah, and then the plot of Stranger in a Strange Land. Hmm. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there's some redemption for for the libertarian, for the community service oriented libertarian hmm. Robert Heinlein, <laughs> Heinlein after all. Yeah, yeah. In in, in turning me on to this book because it it yeah again I read <laughs> I read just like the first thirty pages or something and I was like this is this deserves a, a return. Mm-hmm. It is, if nothing else, impressive that two of the books that he wrote that reference that same construction in the title are 50 years apart. I I wonder, you know, he, he may have read this book as a kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it, it came out in 1919. And so when Heinlein was like 12 or something like that. Hmm. And apparently, because from what I was reading about it, and I can't, I guess this is in the Wikipedia page too, it was sort of a Ulysses type thing where the scandal over the uh, horniness was so great that the book became more popular and better known hmm. than it ever would have been if it hadn't been, uh, if, if it hadn't been uh, seized by the authorities or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have to add it to our roster. Yeah. It is funny, one, one, one thing about, some of Heinlein's later works is that he gets uh, a little like metafictional mm-hmm. and like he will have characters uh, fall into the worlds of his other novels and not in sort of like a Stephen King, like, Oh, they're all related, but like in a clear, like, Oh yes. He's like walking into one of my novels. 
you know, uh, I don't think he ever appears. Actually, I could be wrong. I won't say that. Um, yeah. Uh, so he, I, I mean, he's definitely like a, a reader, uh, Heinlein and mm. like, uh, a playful guy in some regards. I do want to say that like, perhaps one of the reasons why, uh, the moon is a harsh mistress seems more, uh, worthwhile to me than reading this book because uh like like you most here i don't feel i don't feel compelled to read more um Mm. even if our first page ends in the middle of a sentence but something about like the the character in uh the moon who is a like uh who is the who who is the ironic know-it-all um that is like the mentor of the narrator like the narrator himself is not uh, a know-it-all and like unpleasant to be inside uh, the perspective of. Mm. And I wonder if that's one of the, like if, if that's the trick of the earlier Highland and here he's just like, eh, I'm successful enough to like tell you how I really feel about, you know, uh, well-fed carcasses mm. and people who are authorities who are not me. Well, it's, it's a risky gambit because um, I don't know if you all are familiar with open city, but that novel has it 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 was really i taught it and it was really kind of tricky because i had this initial desire to sort of read the narrator as teju cole and so as you know the author teju cole to read the narrator as being just sort of a biography of him because it's also like a nigerian american etc but the narrator is such an awful person ultimately that that i i I really kind of hated cole for a while and it was only when i was teaching it um, I felt compelled to teach it because I was teaching stuff about New York. And when it was only when I was teaching and read it a second time that I sort of was able to put enough distance between the author and the narrator to sort of see that that's kind of the point. Mm. Um, mm. The the point is to show uh, what a certain kind of liberal bourgeois cosmopolitan uh, view on the world. And that's, that's literally, you know, I know we're not talking about this novel, but that's, that's, uh, you know, that, that this kind of bourgeois liberal cosmopolitan view of the world is, deserves more criticism than it gets. Sort of, Mm -hmm. but it's risky. It definitely is. And like you said, Heinlein is, is, was famous enough, et cetera. So he can just, uh, just write novels full of atrocious protagonists and, and yeah. roll with it mm. and maybe isolated enough to or narrators sorry is, isolated enough to to feel that they are uh not not loathsome people who you wouldn't want to hang out with mm. uh yeah of course now i'm looking at the, the cover of open city uh and comparing it to this um and i think we want to get to that point we may have run out of things to say about yeah. and time. Highlands. It does look yes. like. <laughs> so, okay. Final thoughts. Blah. That's my final thought. Yeah, that's fair. Like the part of me that is interested in rereading this just to go and see what its deal was is overweighed certainly by the parts of me that would be interested in going back and reading Stranger in a Strange Land or The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which would be a much smaller ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I similarly uh, was unable to overcome my initial bias against it, but I do believe that I will read the Wikipedia page about the novel afterwards. <laughs> now that now that I'm not under embargo, that is a good yeah. compromise. I, 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 I do feel like you. I, I've always 
Uh, for some reason, uh, uh, the, the, the novel Jurgen or Jurgen, uh, has come up a lot in, in my reading of mm-hmm. just like, 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 Oh, Lovecraft knew it. And like, you know, like this person was a big fan and like, it's just come up uh, a lot, uh, among writers who I enjoy and I've always meant to read it. And now I feel like, Oh, like maybe I should, or maybe I, I won't. And uh, I'll just read the first page and you can come back on and explain it yeah. to me. Uh, <laughs> Well, you you know, don't read it, just teach it. Mm. <laughs> and on that note, uh, Mosier, where can the people find you? If they want to know more about your opinions on uh, James Branch Cable. Uh, well, I my my Twitter is James Branch Cable exclusive material. <laughs> the username is Moseus, M-U-Z-I-E-J-U-S. But uh, I have I also have an extremely infrequent podcast called Undercurrent that I do uh, as part of a gallery that I volunteer at, a gallery in Brooklyn. Um, so Undercurrent you can find wherever. And my as for my Twitter, the, the best way to find me on Twitter is just by Googling my first name. There are only about 80,000 of us in the world. <laughs> And I've I've uh, cornered the SEO on that. So if you just type M O A C I R into Google, you will very quickly find me or my dad. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg. And you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Finn LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at MrReciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at TheChimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter, or visit DarkKnightsReads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week.